0: The sermon title today is To Live as Christ and to Die as Gain. The scripture reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 26. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. And learning in your word. God, I ask that you'd open our hearts to receive the spiritual food you want to give us today so that we can grow and make progress in our faith and be more like you and live like you and have a proper understanding of what it means to be a believer in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the first slide we read today, verse 18, might seem like an odd verse to start with because it starts with, What then? And so it's obvious Paul is making a conclusion here. So we're starting with a verse that Paul is, in one sense, ending with because he is drawing a conclusion about what he wrote about previously, but he's also connecting the idea from this verse to the ones that follow. So the last part of this verse, yes, and I will rejoice, is really intended to be connected with the verses that come after it. And I call verses like this connecting verses. That's in your in your study guide because they connect two thoughts together, and it's interesting because when I study, I use a program called Blue Letter Bible, and it just shows me the verses just in order, and I can look at Greek and I can look at commentaries and all that. But so I wasn't actually looking for this, but I was surprised as I was just reading it to find that in the ESV they actually break it up that way, and so um, the yes and will rejoice is part of the next paragraph. And I didn't notice that, but I, I mean, I agree. That's the way I interpret those verses. That that part of verse 18 is really part of this next section. So, just by way of introduction, though, let's since we're starting verse 18, let's remind ourselves of what we read last week. What was what he was talking about in verse 18? Okay, now I don't know where I am. I got some similar slides here. Sorry, why's my back button not working? Oh, I see. Malik must not have added this to the worship guide. All right, so in verse 18, it's interesting. Okay, well, it's working. Um, Remember that what Paul wrote in the previous verse, starting in verse 12, Paul wanted the Philippians to know that his imprisonment had served to advance the gospel. That's what we read last week. For one thing, he said, the whole imperial guard and everyone else who was aware of Paul's imprisonment knew that he was imprisoned for Christ. He was doing this for Christ. And for another thing, it created boldness among other believers. Others saw how Paul was being bold, what Paul was giving up for the gospel, and it caused them also with boldness to speak without fear. But then in verse 15, Paul begins to talk about how Christ is being proclaimed throughout this whole process, and some are proclaiming Christ in a good way as they come to Paul's defense, and some are proclaiming Christ in a bad way as they're mounting up false accusations against Paul. And that's when we come to verse 18, where Paul says, What then, in both the scenarios? Either way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I'll rejoice at that. And I clarified last week that that didn't mean that Paul was rejoicing when a false gospel was preached. He wasn't talking about false gospels. He makes it abundantly clear throughout Acts and his own letters that he attacks false gospels, because that's dangerous. He just means here that whether they're mounting a case against him or for him, Christ is being proclaimed in that, and that's causing people to know the name of Christ, and so he rejoices, and then he says at the end of the verse, and yes, and will rejoice. And then we go to verse 9 to see the reason why he's going to still rejoice. So yes, and will rejoice, and then verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So Paul knows that this situation is going to turn out for his deliverance. The fact that Christ is being proclaimed everywhere in pretense or or in truth, he rejoices because it will turn out for his deliverance. Well, in what way his deliverance? Let's look ahead to the next verse in verse 20, and we'll come back to some of this. But in verse 20, he explains what what deliverance looks like for him. So in verse 20, he says, "...as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed." but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So it looks like for Paul, deliverance doesn't necessarily look like being set free from prison in this situation. It doesn't necessarily look like not dying. He says here, whether by life or by death. So for him, deliverance means something else than the immediate problem he has. He's looking at a more eternal perspective on this deliverance. And he says, for him, deliverance means Christ being honored in his body. It means not being ashamed. It means being full of courage. This is what Paul means by deliverance. And that's much different than how we often think of deliverance today. Today, I would say we often have a very small perspective on our own problems. We've got a very present moment, small view of what's going on. And so we have, for example, some small things happen, like a friend upsets us, or we're late to a meeting, or somebody misunderstands us, or we're unhappy in some situation. And we pray for help, and we expect God to help by solving that immediate problem. And sometimes He doesn't, and we get angry, and we get frustrated but so much is a larger thing going on that we don't realize that we're not even thinking about. And sometimes deliverance from God doesn't look like taking that problem away. Even if the problem persists, there's a more important kind of deliverance that Paul is looking for, that we can be looking for. And it's the understanding Paul has that either way, whether the issue goes away or not, whether I live or die, whether I'm late to my meeting or not, whether that person upsets me or not, that, Christ would be honored in my life, that I wouldn't be ashamed, that I would have courage. So it's easy to say that about small problems, which is why I say that first. It's easier to say that. But sometimes we have pretty serious problems, more significant problems, like a life-threatening illness or a disease or a loved one dying or chronic suffering or like Paul, persecution, or like many Christians today, persecution. And the same thing can be said there, that there's a present problem we're facing And yes, we can ask God for deliverance from that. And God might deliver us from that, but He might not because there's a different kind of deliverance that God might have in mind for us. Just like the Christians today who are persecuted, some die for their faith. But they were still delivered in in the way Paul means that because deliverance doesn't just mean a solution to your temporary problem. It's more really about the legacy of was Christ honored in your life, or were you ashamed because you didn't respond the way you should have in that moment? So the meaning of these things, again, putting in the context of Paul's trial and those who falsely accuse him, at the end of all that, Paul is confident that Christ will be made known through his life, and Paul will be seen as a faithful follower of Christ. Paul's name will ultimately be cleared of false accusations by those who come to know Christ. His reputation will not be destroyed by the evil deeds of others. His legacy will be that he honored Christ in life or in death. And that to Paul is deliverance. That's a win for Paul. So I wanted to complete that thought between verse 19 and verse 20 as far as deliverance, and then go back to verse 19 to just look at a couple of these things. Um, so back at verse 19, Paul mentions two ways that he's going to find this deliverance. And he says, through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That's how this deliverance would come. So we can learn a couple things from this. Number one, Paul was able to express his struggles to others. And as a result, they prayed for him. And that was part of how he was confident that deliverance was going to come to him. And Paul also had a regular prayer life. We see this often. He'll talk to churches and say, I remember you in all of my prayers praying often for you, which means I have prayers that I do often, and I remember you in those often regular prayers. So Paul prayed often, and part of what we do in prayer is cry out to God for help, specifically crying out to the Spirit for help. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I get so tired of the cessationists that don't believe in the Spirit's gifts today is saying things like, Why invite the Holy Spirit? He's already in you. Why ask for forgiveness? He's already died for you. It's like, I just hate these arguments, you know? We can cry out to God for help, just like Paul does in Romans, like crying out, like, you know, asking the Spirit for help with words we can't even utter. We can cry out to the Spirit. And so, in whatever you currently face, if you really wanted this to turn out for your deliverance, for your legacy of Christ being honored in your life, there are two things we need to be able to do. Number one, open up to others and ask them to pray for you. Especially in your church. If you're going through life with a family of believers, let them be part of that life with you. Open up to them about your struggles. Let them pray for you. Let them see you through it. Let them see you to the other side of it and know that part of your story. And they can pray for you. Number two, Learn to rely on the Spirit and pray often. Learn to rely on the Spirit. Recognize that the Holy Spirit was given to us as a gift, as a pledge. You know, Christ uses the the metaphor of of an engagement when he's like, I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you and I'm leaving the spirit with you. That's like the whole Hebrew engagement. I'm going away, but here's this gift, and I'm going to come back for you. But in the meantime, here's this thing to remember me by so I know how so you know how valuable you are to me. And this is the gift. It's the spirit. And He's here with us, inside of us, upon us, around us, to guide us and lead us and encourage us and fill us and empower us. And so we have to learn to rely on that and ask for it and seek it. Those two things will allow us in life, through any struggle, to have the legacy of Christ was honored in my body. And that is deliverance, whether or not He solves your immediate problem. He might solve your immediate problem, but whether or not He does. You want your legacy to be, Christ was honored in my life. And we can do that with these two things here. So Paul ends verse 20 somewhere. Sorry, I mean, I guess I didn't put a slide for that one. He ends verse 20 by saying, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, which leads into his next topic that he wants to talk about in verse 21. For to me to live as Christ, And to die is gain. You might have heard this verse before. It's kind of a popular one. Songs written about it, that sort of thing. But do you know what it means? This phrase, to live is Christ. It's kind of an odd way to say it, isn't it? We don't often say that. We might say something like, I want to live for God, or I want my life to count for the cross, or that sort of thing. But to live is Christ. It's kind of a a strange way to say it. But Paul said it that way intentionally. He felt as if nothing else needed to be said. The meaning was clear. After all, if you think about it, Christ is life. I am the way, the truth, the life. He is life. So to live is Christ. Christ is everything. He is life. But I do like how the New Living Translation phrases this here. In this verse it says, living means living for Christ. I think that's what the verse means. If I'm alive at all, it's for Christ. And then he says, to die is gain isn't that an unusual thing to say? I mean we've heard it in church, so we're used to it, but it's still unusual to say to die as gain, to die as a benefit, to die as a win. He's just talking about life and death and whether or not he's going to die, Christ being honored in his body and all that. and then he says, as long as I'm alive, I'll honor Christ as long as I have breath, but if I die, that's a win for me. It's an interesting way to look at life. you know I was talking to somebody recently, And they had to go through um, some pretty serious surgeries. I guess one of the ones there was like only a 50% chance of survival. So the doctor's like sitting down like, are you you sure you want to go through this? Because there's a 50% chance. You go under. You don't wake up again. And this person said, you don't understand. I am a Christian. I believe in eternal life. And if the worst case scenario here is that I die, that's a win for me. And so this person said, your worst case scenario is actually my best case scenario. If I wake up again and I'm alive, it's because God's got some use for me. But if not, it's a win. I get to go be with Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about here. If I remain alive, I'll live for Christ, and that's a win. If I die, I get to go be with Him, and that's a win. Either way, it's a win win-win. win. Win 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 win. And then he begins to talk more about this in verse 22. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. This phrase, if I am to live in the flesh, is kind of interesting, meaning not die. But he calls it living in the flesh because there's more life than what happens in the flesh. You know, we say we die, but as Christians, we don't actually die. Our body might die, but we are still alive. And so Paul's saying here, if I am to live on in the flesh, because even if he was to die, he would still be alive. So it's kind of a neat way he phrases that. We've got eternal life. In the resurrection, we'll be clothed with a new heavenly body. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And Paul talks in 2 Corinthians about how, how much he looks forward to taking on that, that new eternal uncorrupted body. So for Paul, living or dying really means living in the flesh or living in eternity. And he says, while here, while on this side of the grave, that's fruitful labor. It's useful. We'll talk more about that in a few verses down, verses 24 and 25. And then he says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. But it's, he doesn't mean like God is saying choose, and he's like not sure what to do. Really, he means, and I'll quote again from the, the New Living Translation says here, um, I don't know which is better. Or actually, the, the Amplified Bible says, I don't know which to choose if I am given that choice. And that's kind of the sense of what Paul's getting at. is like, if I had to choose, I don't know, because if God looks up to me, I'd kind of want to go be with Him. But I recognize that as long as I'm here, there's a, a reason for me. And so in verse 23, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. I don't know what's better. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for so that's far better. So by this point, we can tell that. Paul isn't just saying these things that sound spiritual. You know, it might be easy for them to say something like this, like, Oh, I'm just not afraid of death, and then all of a sudden, you know, they almost drive off the road and they're just freaking out and their heart's beating all fast and they almost died and they're they're losing it, you know. But I think with Paul, he's giving enough reasons here to really let us know, like he's really not afraid. He truly does believe that Christ is going to be honored in his body, whether or not he lives or dies. So in both cases, Christ will be honored. So then Like, why keep living? Many of us today would prefer life. And we might not be able to relate with Paul's thing about to die as gain because we live in a world we love. But remember that Paul, the apostles, the believers back then, didn't live in a world that they loved easily. The world hated them. They were persecuted. They were poor. They suffered. They went without. They were chased from their homes, imprisoned, beaten, Left for dead, hungry, thirsty, cold, uncomfortable. And some Christians live that way today. And if that, for, if that were you, it might be easier to understand Paul's sentiment about, I can't wait to go be with Christ forever. But us today in the West and in America, we have all these rights, we have all these freedoms, you know, we're comfortable, we have riches compared to other countries we have ease we have our our self-entitled sense of like you better not prohibit me from going to church cuz i'm going to write on the streets and i'm going to you know write my senators and i've got rights and all that we're entitled to these things and we're comfortable so why it's jesus says so it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven when we have these things we have these blessings it can blind us and it can deceive our affections so we cannot see or say in our hearts, to die as gain. Because we look around and we love what we see. We have comfort. We have all kinds of food to choose from. We can make choices about the kind of jobs we're going to have. We can make all sorts of choices. And we can live a pretty comfortable life and we can look around. We like what we see. It's easy to get our eyes off of Christ And on the world below and like what we see in front of us. And so we don't understand people that go, I can't wait to leave this earth and be with Christ. Really? But you missed that movie coming out next month. And we we love like we just we have all these things that are just so great in the West, so comfortable. It's hard to say, take the world, but give me Jesus and mean it when you're comfortable. It means more when you say it when you've gone without, when you are suffering, when you've had to come to a place where you don't have things you need and you've had to tap into Jesus and rely on Him and find that He gives you comfort and He gives you peace, even when you've gone without. And then you can say things like, take the world and give me Jesus.